Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subchuck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subchuck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. We have a great episode for you today. Seth McComer interviewed Christina Uncle. They talk about all sorts of things in the world of refereeing, which has been a hot topic amongst Revs fans lately, obviously, with the VAR controversies of late, with some questionable refereeing uh, in these uh, games that we've been watching. Uh, it was certainly a very, very good conversation uh, with Christina. Very, very much looking forward to bringing it to you. Before we do, we want to send a quick thank you to Glasso Kit. Com. Go to glassokits.com today and save with promo code REVSRECAP. You save 15% off your order at glassokits.com. That's promo code REVSRECAP. Also, we want to say thank you to Bet Online AG. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all of your insider sports wagering needs from basketball baseball, NHL hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing, and of course soccer. Uh, if you're looking ahead to this weekend against the Chicago Fire, maybe you fancy the Revs at minus 110 uh, on the money line. If you are, Bet Online AG has you covered. It is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. So get into the action today, head to the website, or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, this is uh, Seth Makemer from The Blazing Musket. We are joined by a special guest, a requested guest, MLS rules analyst, Christina Uncle. Christina, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing well. I can't complain. Live in Florida, hot and muggy, but got some golfing today. So uh, those those realities of people golfing in Florida is a real thing. I love it. I'm glad that you're in the mood to have a little uh, discussion here. Like I said, you're requested. Let's start with your story. Uh, we often hear how players become players, the, the the sacrifices they make, the decisions they make, the dreams they have. We don't hear from referees. How did you decide to become a referee and what is the path that you took? Yeah. So uh, I, I love this question because uh, it can be different for all, but for many referees who start in the beginning, it's the same. You begin refereeing because of the money. Um, there is really good money to officiate. Uh, I started when I was 10 years old. Now I think U.S. soccer allows 13. I know each state's different based on child labor laws. That's a whole different story. Uh, like for Florida, for example, it's 14. But I really started because I was a 10-year-old player uh, yelling at the referee. Um, one, because the referee didn't care. But that's a that's another thing. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that if you're refereeing our game, you're at least giving us a fair try. Not that you get the calls right or wrong, but you're making an effort. My coach was a referee, um, said, hey, you're yelling at the referees incorrectly. You're misusing the laws of the game. So either you shut up or you go and take the class. So uh, that might show a little bit about my personality. Um, I went and I took the class so I can continue yelling at the refs. But instead, it gave me a better appreciation, perspective and awareness and understanding of the laws and exactly why refs do what they do. 
Uh, and at 10 years old, uh, to get paid 15, 20 bucks to do an under six game and all the free concession stand food you want. My favorite is Airheads mystery flavor. Fun fact. Um, that was a really cool thing. And coming from a uh, first generation family, unfortunately, my family didn't have a lot of financial means, uh, lots of love in the house. Um, it allowed me to basically buy my first car, uh, you know, pay for things on the weekends that obviously don't make sense from a, a financial perspective. Uh, as I had a brother and a sister as well. Um, so it really empowered me to be able to um, make those financial means for myself. And, you know, it really taught you not, I played actively, I ended up playing in collegiate, um, but it taught me a lot about the game uh, from the perspective of strategy, tactics, um, looking at things as neutral as possible, anticipating play. Uh, it was really a really good compliment to my playing career. Uh, and I think really what gave me that boost to be able to play in collegiate soccer. So that's kind of why I started refereeing. And like I said, money doesn't help. Like money always helps. And right now with the referee shortage, there is a lot of games that need lots of referees at the youth level. And they are paying more money than ever. I'm kind of thinking about coming out of retirement, going to referee those U14, 15 games at 60, 70 bucks a pop. Um, but that was it. And then the professional leap really happened when I was playing college soccer. I was yelling at the state referee administrator of Florida, once again, a consistent theme, uh, cause he wasn't leaving the center circle. Mind you, he was 60, but he wasn't leaving the center circle. And, um, you know, as the SRA, he noticed that I was using the laws of the game and said, are you a ref? And I said, yeah, what's it to you? And that's kind of how my professional career started. Cause then they started putting me in games, inviting me to ODP and some U.S. soccer games um, and that kind of a thing. And I was seen by some heads of U.S. soccer and through the DA Academy the first year. And that's when it kind of came professional to me because I there was no women's league at that time. There was no – WUSA had folded. Uh, NWSL hadn't started. So if I wanted to play professional, it didn't exist in the United States. So I was like the closest I'm going to get to the U.S. women's national team uh, and to a FIFA International World Cup or Olympics is becoming a ref. And that's what I did, and I had some really cool experiences, and I had the honor of representing all of U.S. soccer for seven years as a FIFA ref. So I implore and encourage anyone and everyone, whether you want to get to the highest levels or to any level, is to join what I call the third team, the referee team. Uh, it, you meet some really incredible people that you would not have met but for the game, um, which I know as fans, as you as a broadcaster and an analyst and media and covering MLS for what you said, 10 years and plus, like – you know, we all have one passion, regardless of our backgrounds, genders, identifications, et cetera, um, that really unites us ultimately, even if you don't agree with my calls or my colleagues' calls. <laughs> you mentioned it right there. There's a shortage in referees. I follow you on Twitter. You mentioned that quite frequently. Um, you mentioned that there's benefits to this, airheads, yeah. the possibility of money, also <laughs> the experience that goes along with it. What is an experience, what's a story that you can tell that you only had because you were a referee that might encourage some of the listeners to join the ranks that you were once part of and still part of? Yeah, I know. It's funny because my broadcasting coach says I have to stop using the word we on MLS 360 because she's like, you aren't out there. You're the expert. Speak about the referee. And I'm like, it's really tough when you've had like holidays with and some of those referees and you feel like it's like we right because you came up with them and you know you were at the same level so you're right I got to change it to the referee but you know one experience is like I briefly mentioned first generation like I never took a plane flight till I was 18 19 years old um, and that was representing Florida at Southern Re U.S. Youth Soccer Southern Regionals um, and that experience in and of itself was eye-opening where it's like hey I can represent my state and I'm doing something that, you know, I normally would not have been able to do. It gave me access and opportunities um, that, you know, for me, it was around when I was like 15 years old. 
Uh, I was asked to do the U18 boys. Mind you, it was recreational soccer, but I was asked to do the U18 boys final uh, for the Cape Coral Cyclones uh, inner, you know, recreational. And I'm like, I'm 15, right? You're not supposed to technically be refereeing, at least in the center, anything that's two years above you, your age. And both of the coaches had asked me uh, to officiate because they say you care, you work hard and you try to get the calls right. And you know what? Consistently, you do get the calls right. And that was a very big eye opener to me when I was 14, 15, that regardless of, you know, race, gender, um, you know, ethnicity, nobody cares on the soccer field unless you can actually perform, period. And for me, that may have been a, a great guiding light because of my legal corporate life, like that there are glass uh, ceilings still. But for me, I always thought it didn't matter as long as you can perform and carry your team over, right? Sports, specifically soccer for me is the ultimate equalizer, right? Uh, when we talk about equity issues and um, that those are those are some of the things that this sport has carried on into who I am fundamentally and some of my values and two of my main values that guide my life and guide, guide the organization Florida Soccer Refs that I lead is access and opportunities, right? Without those two, like many people wouldn't have the opportunity. And this game is truly a beautiful game. There's more beautiful than ugly. And I know there's obviously ref abuse, assault issues and, you know, all of that toxic side to it, but there's still more beautiful than not. So I would really correlate the, you know, being a youth grassroots referee and starting to come up, right? We can talk about sensational stories about, right? When I was in Nanjing, China for 42 days, right? And me and my Caribbean team missed the bus. And then I had to somehow find, get my way to training, right? And I had no idea how to speak, uh, you know, uh, any, any, uh, um, oh my gosh, it's escaping me right now. The exact, what, like the Chinese, like the Chinese dialect there. Um, right. We could talk about, you know, the crazy stories of, you know, getting the CONCACAF final and then all the referees going out dancing. Right. And, uh, you know, Mark Anthony's like La Vida, right. That is like my song. So if I had a walkout song, that would be it. Right. You could talk about those crazy stories and the sensational walking out on finals and all of that. But truly, when I, you know, unwrap it, it's those fundamentals of the community that's behind you that creates your foundations of who you are as an individual and what you advocate for and what you're passionate for. And then even at like some of the low times, because there's a lot of low times in the referee world, right? We only say you're only as good as your last game, which is ironic because not many professions do you get scrutinized at the second you make that decision. Um, but the people where, you know, some of my hardest times when I moved from FIFA into broadcasting world and the negativity I got from people I thought that were close friends of mine, the people who really stood up was the overall referee community and the base of the referee community at the youth levels uh, who supported and understood what I was trying to do, which is bridging the gap between our referee community and the rest of the football world so that we all can be united and understand the game from the same perspective so that we don't live in what historically in the past, I think it was like seven, eight years ago, a U.S. soccer coach in these meetings I was talking to at a youth level said, oh, you guys in your ref world over there. I'm like, what do you mean over there? Like we're in this world, right? Like um, I really realized throughout those things, there's a disconnect, but that's, those are the stories that, you know, I love to tell people because it's not, it doesn't have to be a big, crazy story. It, it, it truly happens once you start getting into the community and meeting others. I'm curious. You mentioned that you guys get criticized very quickly on social media and um how do you deal with that is it about having a, a group thread where you're talking to each other and supporting each other is it about having the family support system at home is it about staying off of social media how do you kind of keep a level head when you know that those reactions are coming in at real time basically like one team hates you by the end of the game and one team likes you at the end of the game in most of those games or team hates you, like, right? Even if you had a good game, um, both teams might hate you. Um, so it's funny because, you know, social media was something that came in more into my life 
uh, or any of our lives, right? Until like the early mid 2000s, uh, right? You know, the Twitter thing, I always stayed off. Funny enough, I never had Twitter until I did the broadcasting journalism thing because TV said, you must have Twitter. And I'm like, I'm like, but everyone's so angry and there's keyboard warriors and everyone has an opinion and everyone's jaded and, you know, and not saying it's just that's that's what you get added at. Right. Like all the time. And you're like, oh, and you're like, did you you only looked at a still shot? So you didn't understand that in context, like you didn't like see the speed and the force. No. Right. So it was just because there's more negativity than positivity, which I hope other uh, that, you know, any of my social media forums I try to use is the opposite. What is more empowering, enlightening and educational? Those are the three, um, you know, E's, right? I just realized there's alliteration there, but there's the three E's that, you know, I use when I, you know, with um, with uh, any kind of a social media, right? Because it's just there's people wouldn't say that to somebody in their face, right? Um so my thing was to always stay truly off of social media, right? I only had Facebook in the beginning because I was in college and that's what we all use Facebook was, is to figure out who was in your class and why, when you skip class, who you can get the class notes from. That's what Facebook started out. Just wanted to reiterate that to people who don't know the origins of Facebook. Um, but, you know, for the reality is, and I even train, we train the, and we do educational sessions for Florida soccer refs is social media is here to stay and it's part of our culture and it's part of our environment. And um, what you put out there, you know, you can also receive back that's either positive or negative. And it's not just referees, right? We see players, Vinicius Jr., right? All of the stuff he's gotten, right? I'm a Leeds fan. So, you know, uh, Patrick Bramford, the stuff that he's gotten recently, it, you know, they can't say it's just because I'm a ref with somehow in, in a really you know, perturbed world, players and coaches can't be protected either. So there are some definite issues there. So you can't control in the ref world, we say control what you can control. We can't control a lot of that world. So, you know, control your environment, control your mindset, control your ecosystem. Is it easy, you know, and they they figured out the, the ability for us to just click Twitter, right? And just get that endorphin, right? When you click it and you see it, you know, some people say, you're great. Cool. I feel great. Oh, you're bad. Oh, I go down, right? We just, when you're focusing, especially at the higher levels, is eliminating that as much as possible out of your life. Um, because the reality is, you know, there's performance and there's reviews and there's analysis. And I know a lot of people don't realize that or feel that um, from referees after um, when they're being assessed by observers because they want the immediate information and they don't get privy to someone's employee review. Um, believe that, right? I mean, I always tell people you work in a professional environment. I don't get access to your employee review, nor should I, uh, <laughs> even if it's a customer feedback kind of a thing. So um, it's, it's, it's protecting yourself as much as possible in this environment, surrounding yourself with good people and knowing, uh, I call them catch and release moments, right? So that might happen in the game. You might miss a foul. Um, it might be your angle, which people don't realize this game is all about angles. So you take at that moment, you release all the negativity, the yelling, you're an idiot, you're bad, you missed it. And you try to take out what's the one thing I could do, I can take from this that can make me a better referee right now in this second. And it could be, I could have been three steps to the right to have a better angle to see in between the players because my assistant referees have the other two angles, you know? So it's it's a catch and release moment that's in a microscope. But when we talk about in a macro level, it's the same thing. How do you take out the 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 learning points from the bad or the negative because we're always growing um, and use that to just make yourself a better person? Because if we win all the time, you're not going to grow. It's the most growing comes from when you lose. Uh, no one wants to lose because it sucks. And contrary to popular belief, none of the referees in Major League Soccer go out there saying, I want to tank this game. I know you guys believe that. I see that. Uh, but trust me, no, none of them go out there because those who are 
actively, especially in the first division, it's fully professionalized in the center referees. This is their livelihood. They do get reviews. They get marks. If they don't have a good performance, um, whether it's that game or collectively in the season, um, you could be terminated as an employee and or not. So there are for everyone's, I want accountability. There is. Um, just think of a professional setting and it might not be the accountability you want <laughs> for the vindication for what you might think is a missed foul or a missed tackle, which may or may not be. Not saying that you're wrong. Um, just know that there is review on all that. Me about uh, the coaches, especially if you're a fourth official, you're between two coaches that are hotly contested, they want to win the game. How are you, as the referee, going to bring those emotions down during the game? And, and what are some of the, the things that they're saying to you during a game? I think you know, in the professional scene, right? Um, and this is what we're talking about the beauty of being in this league is that you build relationships with everybody, um, it's a small world. The coaches are the same. Even when they leave teams, they always pop up with the other team somehow, right? We always say, you right? I can name a handful of coaches. You're like, oh, they got terminated. Oh, wait, look, they're with that team now. Um, so it's just a, the same characters. Same thing as the referees, right? When you get to that level at Major League Soccer, you have already put years of experience, fortitude, proven yourself, et cetera. For the most part, your char the characters in the center are the same. The characters in the fourth officials are the same. Like, especially now with unionization, you're not going to get random individuals you're gonna get people who are part of the program for that year so you really do create relationships right when you come up people say oh like that person's calling you by your first name christina they can't do that i'm like when you're at the professional scenes we all know each other by the first name right you all know your tendencies i think the first eye-opening for me was da finals when i had some coaches come up and go oh you're the ref that calls preferences for this this and this they basically scouted my games and figured out you know whether my tendencies or not or my preferences etc I mean, it's it's professional soccer. There's a lot at stake. There's jobs, there's, you know, career. I mean, jobs and careers are the same. But, you know, there is, um, you know, money at line. So they know all these officials in and out. We know all these coaches in and out, <laughs> right? We've had experiences and repeated experiences. What are this person's tendencies? What does this person care the most about? What does that person pop off the most about? Whether it's a good argument or it's a bad argument, that's just what their preferences are, right? Whether they prefer things micromanaged in front of the bench versus they don't really care as much. So knowing what, like I said, it's all a relationship, right? Um, whether you really enjoy that person because they're super professional and respectful or they're not and they pop off all the time, no names to be said. Um, you have to learn how to manage the individual and vice versa, you know, and that comes as soon as, you know, from even from your last game, right? Hey, did I have a rough last game and or did I have an okay game, but in their perspective, think it's rough, right? So leading into the game, coach, good to see you again, bah, 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 right? Sometimes it's humor. Um, sometimes it's not. It's just good to see you, coach, and you just move on, right? <laughs> sometimes less words is best. Um, that you just really start to learn each other's personalities, um, not just coaches-wise, but players-wise. Um, and I always say, you know, in a game, what you're essentially as the referee doing, especially the center referee, is trying to convince 22 players, the coaches, the bench, uh, to do what you want them to do within those 90 minutes without them realizing that's what you want them to do. And the reason why you're guiding them in that direction is because you're trying, refereeing is an art. It's not a science. Some would argue that's a science of the VAR. It's not it's just offside. Everything else is still an art, right? Because it's discretionary and there's gray areas. But Effectively, what we're trying to do is create a game that's enjoyable to watch that allows them to showcase their skills within the safety of the laws of the game so that we don't have broken legs, right? That someone doesn't get, 
you know, an unfair advantage by, you know, uh, pulling someone's shirt that they had real estate to collect down the left line. Like, that's what we're there to do is allow this game to be as beautiful as possible. And by doing that, usually you have to make the players and the coaches think that they were the ones who did that when you're like kindly guiding them towards that path um, and be proactive. So that's kind of how you manage that stuff. And, you know, it only, you only learn through experience and not every situation is the same. And sometimes it worked for you in one scenario and you play it in another scenario management and it blows up in your face and you have to figure that out very, very quickly. So it's not as easy as sitting on your couch and making decisions. I wish it was. And VAR is a lot more stressful than people think it is. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In past years, there's been points of emphasis for referees, whether it's mass confrontation, head injuries. Is there a point of emphasis this year that referees are looking at? Yeah, uh, point of emphasis, still focusing on mass confrontations. Um, if people have taken a look at the Ms., uh, MLS disciplinary committees, you know, they're really hampering down on anyone who's doing mass cons and or approaching the referee. Um, right. Uh, getting that out of the game. It's it's not soccer. Right. Uh, it's not. It's not, it, it, with all due respect, no referee has changed their mind because they've had a player sitting there yelling at them. Right? So it doesn't put a good product out there and it's misleading to youth players to think that that's okay to do to grassroots referees or to younger referees or the other game. So once we get that out, right, there's a difference. And I always say you can be, you can respectfully disagree with individuals. And, you know, I've had some relationships with the players are like, you know, they don't say anything. And the one time they say something, you're like, oh, crap, we really must have missed something, right? Because <laughs> they never talk. Um, so that was one of the crackdowns. Uh, another crackdown that you would have seen so far, and I actually am trying to think of this weekend. I think we had seen two. It was the second yellow card. Uh, his name's blinking on me. Man, my broadcasting coach is going to kick my butt for forgetting his names. Um, but uh, it was a, a holding offense, right? Going down the left is second yellow. Um, and the reality is, you know, those holding offenses uh, are being cracked down quite a bit because there's no soccer play in them whatsoever. Like you're not going to be able to play the ball with your hand. So that's been another major emphasis um, uh, interfering in the restart of play. Uh, I know that could be sometimes a cultural thing, but here domestically, we don't want to see players stepping in front of the ball very quickly, delaying the restart of a play, kicking the ball away. Um uh, you know, those are the things that have been focused on as well. Um, let's see here. Oh, there's another one. Uh, Mark is going to kick my butt for forgetting it. But uh, for right now, <laughs> that's what I remember is some of our, you know, kind of our really big points of emphasis. And as you can see, a lot of them aren't necessarily focused on, um, you know, strategic or anything. It's more of taking out some of these what, you know, people friendly call dark arts, right? Things that are not soccer related plays, but are pure frustrating, you know, strategies that only, you know, tick people off, to be honest, and then cause those mass confrontations. So that no one really wants to come see people holding each other and then kicking balls away. They want to see the ball live in play speed. That's the beauty of our game compared to some other American sports. So last week, our guest was Chris Whittingham, and we put him in the, the leadership position, and we had him think about what he'd change about MLS, what he'd change about broadcasting. We have a referee specialist here. We're going to give you a few questions, put you in a leadership position as well, 
If there's one thing that you would change about Major League Soccer, what would that be? For Chris Whittingham, it was about shrinking the playoffs. What would you have in mind to make the game a little bit better, the league a little bit better? All right. So um, I'll say it, but it's never going to happen. Relegation is never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> just the way we structure, you set up some MLS, you went on that one. Um, um, but, you know, that's a really good question. I haven't ever really thought about it because I'm always from, you know, th- you know, this side of it. Um, do and we can't change the number of games because that's just the reality, right? I didn't realize how many games we had. And then I looked at the year and I cover European football now. And I'm like, wow, we don't even have as many games as these European teams do. Gosh, I might have to think on that one. I know I don't have a callback on that, but oh, oh, okay. You guys are going to love me. All right. I now know what I'm going to change. Mind you, it's contingent upon FIFA, right? So I know that they can't, but referees being able to announce their decisions on field with a mic comp. I know, I know. And then, you know what? Major League Soccer has been more forward on this stuff. They're just not allowed to be able to do stuff based on some FIFA and IFAB regulations. But if I could change something, it would be. And because honestly, sometimes I'll cover things and maybe, you know, a Slack channel like might misstate whatever. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't think they're looking for handball. I think they're looking for foul on the top of the 18, right? But it's because there's certain portions of it that can kind of be confusing. So not that everyone has full access to the live commentary between VAR and referee and people like, why not? We want full transparency because, you know, those are really complicated scenarios. And we're still learning that skill set of transferring what is maybe an innate skill into a verbal skill. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with the referee right now. We do the little box, which is still pretty cool, by the way. It's like, woo. But like, if you, you know, Wes McKinney does it great in NHL, you know, on field decision is this, right? And then like, instead, you know, at that moment, everyone in the stands and broadcasting, because sometimes I'll get slacked, like, what the heck just happened? They VAR'd something and I don't know what they VAR'd, right? Everyone will have immediate information, understanding that shoots broadcasting to then focus. Oh, they're not focusing on this. They're focusing on an offside in the APP leading up to that. So let's go quickly to that graphic so we can show it so that everyone at home knows what the heck happened. And then my, not my referee team, the referee team doesn't get crucified for a correct decision and, or, you know, maybe they find the wrong decision, but um, that would be something that I would change. Um, Sometimes you got to ask for forgiveness and permission. Uh, So I would change it to at least the final decision being announced by the referee. Um, uh, Right. We've had second yellow red cards changed to direct red cards where the players like, I'm still leaving. And they're like, yeah, you're still leaving. It just, it technically was a dog. So instead of a spa. Right. And that would better explain the scenario to everyone in the fans. And I'm a big believer that, you know, like I said, we control what we can for those 22 players, et cetera. But what we do as referees, we're also doing it for the fans and the viewers. This is truly entertainment. um, And we do have to be able to transparently communicate with everyone beyond the pitch as well. You mentioned video review and you said it's harder than people imagine it'd be. Explain to us what what don't we understand about video review if you're an analyst or if you're a fan? Um, I think kind of one of the biggest things is that some people say, why does it take too long? Right. Everyone's like, why is it taking too long? If it's clear and obvious, it should be easy. And I go, all right, let's put you in a booth, shall we? Um, <laughs> and the reality is because it's not as easy as that back hole. Sometimes it's not easy as that tackle in and of itself because what we have been preconditioned and now the beauty with Apple is we have so many different cameras and angles now in high def. Hey, I worked at NWSL. We didn't have a lot of high def, right? <laughs> so like I get it, but like now you have it. 
So in that VAR room, there is zero room for error. When you're on the field without VAR, you know, you get it wrong. You can still get crucified, but at the same time, you're like, oh, okay, well, it's an angle thing, or it was a really difficult because it was a counter, counter, counter. Like, how would you ever be in that position? Or a lot of the positions that have the best angle is behind the goal. No referee should be behind the goal. If you're behind the goal, you either Alex Chilowitz or you did something wrong, right? Uh, sorry, he t- I always joke with him. He takes extreme positions. Um, but in that VAR booth, you know, you have to take a look at all the angles. And if you have 20 to 22 available camera angles, some can easily be wiped off, right? I love it. The beauty cam that's in the high sky cam that's looking over like in Philadelphia, right? The bridge, that's never going to help you, right? Uh, Unless you're looking for that off player who could have been the second to last defender that wasn't caught by the cameras, which we had that scenario too, right? A a beauty cam was able to catch that, that individual. But you can eliminate some of the cameras, but you still have to go through every single camera not just for that situation, but for the attacking phase of play leading up to it. And us as VARs and assistant VARs, which are primarily ARs, you know, um, that work as our assistants, while we're going through this, we're saying potential offside, potential foul, this and that. So when there is a decision that's under one of the four reviewable incidents, we can say, hey, because we bookmarked it to a video operator, please go back to that potential offside, see if that's an issue. Got to double check. Nope, that's not. Perfect. Moving on. What about that potential foul? Check that. Nope, that's good. What about that? You know, there's sometimes to that situation, there might be three or four plays that lead up to it that we have to take a look at with all the camera angles in every available situation because it's unforgivable for us to miss that in the VAR room because then everyone says, what's the point in the integrity of VAR if it's not being used correctly? Um, And I tell you, once you hit that red button to check for reviewable incidents, the light goes on after 10 seconds, it goes from green to yellow after like 20 seconds, it goes to like deep red, even though they say there's no time, you feel it in that room, it's black, it's isolated, you're like, oh my god, my colleagues are out there getting screamed out, let me figure this out really quickly. So you understand the pressures of the refs on the field, but at the same time, you have to do the adequate check. Um, and the reviews of the APP and all the camera angles. And that's sometimes why it takes too long. And I know it frustrates fans and viewers because they're like, well, that's not clear and obvious. I'm like, well, that's probably because there's four incidents that are being checked at the same time. You just talk a little bit. So I have two last questions here. They're a little bit more res specific because most of our listeners and most of our uh, readers are Revolution fans. Um, Two major issues that have come up this year one happened in the game against Columbus, and there was a ball that was played in. There's potential handball on Andrew Farrell, potential handball on Carlos Heel. I don't necessarily need you to remember that specific play, but the criticism that, that came out of it, and you've already mentioned it, was that it took a long time for them to uh, report out a result. Can you talk a little bit about the time limit that's put out there, and do you think that when it comes to clear and obvious, that plays a role how much time it takes for it to truly be clear and obvious? So, yeah. So if you're not taking a look, as I mentioned, through a bunch of other incidents that could essentially uh, eliminate what that decision is, right? Everyone's eyes might be focused on that handling, but does something else happen before that could effectively make it move, right? So if they're done with that, um, as you said, I think handling now has been at, you know, there's been a couple of periods. Sadly, I'm a dork. I've refereed for a long time. So I've seen different phases, variations in application and law being changed and interpretations throughout the years. That's how I know I'm old because I could tell you probably the three different phases it's gone through mm-hmm. is right now in their attempts at making it as clear as possible by trying to give referees back a bit of discretionary when we talk about the silhouette and in, within natural in the context of the play. You know, you you try to get consistency throughout the world, um, consistency throughout the leagues. I I cover several leagues, um, so I've seen it applied differently or not differently, but in just slight variations. 
is that, you know, it, one could sit there up there and say, that looks like a clear and obvious handling for me. Bodies outside the silhouette. They've made themselves bigger, et cetera, et cetera. But then they're like, but is that a clear and obvious, you know, handling for everyone else, right? Like, does the game expect this? Does the game need this, right? Or not need this, but does the game, like football world, football expectations, that's what I mean. Does that does that need it? So you can start playing your own devil advocate in your own mind when you're up there and being like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that person was a barrier, whether there was intent or not, eliminate intent, that doesn't exist. Um, it's more about facts and context, which push us into whether it's handling or not. And because handling can be subjective at sometimes, uh, or a lot of times, um, that one is a little bit more difficult to determine. Does this cross the threshold of clear and obvious error? And then even clear and obvious error is our interpretation because these are such focused individuals who have the exact same training currently at ProCamp, getting the exact same feedback and saying, hey, here is our preferred decision. Does that fall into the preferred decision that we know that if there was the entire MLS referees in that room, would 90% of them raise their hand for that? You'll always have 10%. I'm sorry. You'll always have 10%. But would 90% of them raise their hand in the answer? If the answer is yes, you move forward. So, um, you know, with this invention of VAR, right, certain tackles are very clear and obvious. Other ones are left for a little bit gray because then you have to determine, did the person jump, right? Did they make a barrier? And then you have to take a look at a couple of angles. But um, to leave it at the threshold of uh, like, I take one second at him, like, oh, 100%, send it down. You know, usually those situations are caught by the referee <laughs> because they're that obvious, um, except for like those hand, like those clear handling um, offenses and the hand of God offenses. But ultimately, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I always, when I'm in the booth, um, I always say, you know, if I'm taking a look and I'm questioning over and over and over again, then that's not clear and obvious uh, for me um, because I'm debating within my own bread my own brain making arguments. And if I get closer to a 60, 40 analysis, um, then that's not clear and obvious. And the last question, this came up recently is this issue of players being offsides, but not actually being a part of the play. We saw that with Dylan Brero uh, ha having a shot. It goes off of a opponent defender goes in the back of the net, but Gustavo Bow is offside. And that was earlier this year. Recently, 18 year old Noel Buck, creates a very nice goal, but Latif Blessing is uh, in the line, potentially, of the goalkeeper. Can you talk to me about what you see in those plays? I know you talked about it on MLS 360. How do you determine as a referee if that offside player truly does impact the play? Yeah, so there is quite a bit. So anytime you have a, an offside individual, uh, right, we used to talk about line of sight, line of vision of a goalkeeper. The, you know, the question really is interference uh, with an opponent, right? Have they... The biggest word I want to use with this um, is impact. Did they impact, right? And sometimes it's not a mental impact. People are like, oh, well, the goalkeeper knows they're there. Cool, right? But did their movement make them impact their body or decision, right? So for a goalkeeper, because that's both of those situations we're talking about goalkeepers, right? And whether they got frozen or shook by that individual being in that position, right? The first one, and the closer you get towards the six, the closer that individual gets cl to the goalkeeper, the more chances is that, you know, based on the FIFA interpretations and applications, we're going to, they're going to want the preferred decision to be interfering with an opponent, right? The closer that person is towards the six and the goalkeeper, et cetera, naturally further they're out, they get the less impact they have. Um, is for me, when I take a look at it, I'm always thinking about the goalkeeper, right? In the sense of, you know, uh, there's another clip too that we saw recently that, you know, some people are like, oh, we want offside on it. And I go, why? Because the keeper sees the ball coming is already jumping. That individual's there, but they're already jumping. They're not, they're not either 
negatively not reacting or positively reacting because that individual has is might potentially play the ball. They've already committed to the play before that ball got into that vicinity in that area. So for me, I would prefer to see this types of offside as true impact when you're in the VAR booth. Cause when you're a referee, you're just like, uh, all we got is that person's in an offside position and may have been interfering with the goalkeeper. Not a hundred percent. If there was a true impact in that goalkeeper being able to make a movement, not that that person's just there and they know that they're mentally there, but truly in fact, did they not commit to that because they saw that person there and said, Hey, that person might have an extra touch on it. And so therefore they stayed where they're at in hopes of in case somebody hits it, then they can react. Or did they already commit regardless of whether the individual was there? Um, and that's where there's a little bit more kind of a gray that the on-field decision will remain based upon what they've decided. Uh, but that's where I would want to focus on, on those interfering with uh, an opponent is, did they impact that goalkeeper in the sense that did that goalkeeper either not commit or commit because that person was in that position, as opposed to that person just in that position and they had already committed based on the first play. Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, I don't know about our listeners. I learned a lot, and I might think about taking those referee classes. Yeah. It was since college. Uh, I'll have to, you know, obviously brush up on the rule book once again. But, you know, the plea definitely and the, and the possibility of getting airheads definitely sold me in those situations. You can catch Christina Uncle every weekend on MLS 360. She's on Twitter as well and all these various platforms. Christina, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks, all. Keep enjoying the game.